Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. So we're going to talk today about this connection with each other. We connected with each other. You know, we have a motto in our church and, and um, you know, Pastor Tony got a vision for this church, what this church would look like. And it took us a little while, but we came up with a motto that actually is the essence of what we do. And that is connect with God, connect with each other. Okay, it sounds nice. Let's go to church, connect with God and let's have friends. <laughs> it's a little more than that. There's much more than that. Now, you know, there is a certain contention that takes place when, you, when you're getting people connected with God. But that happens. But this connection with each other, let me tell you, sometimes it's hard work. And there's been a contending to connect with each other. So I'm going to, we're going to look at that a little, a little bit more detail today. So I want to start off, uh, well, first let's start off with prayer. Father, well, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit today. He is the great revealer, the teacher, the, the, the transmitter, the de- declarer, the revealer. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you work in the hearts of people today and you open their eyes to see the truth of your word and how that truth applies to everyone personally today in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I want to start off by reading um, from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 3 to 11. Since you have already tasted the goodness and kindness of the Lord, come to him. The, uh, that living stone which men tried and threw away, but which is chosen and precious in God's sight. So there we see Jesus. Men tried him. Men looked at him. Men threw him away, disregarded him, said he was no use. But God said he was chosen and precious in God's sight. Come and like living stones, be yourselves be built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up those spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. For thus it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a chosen, precious chief cornerstone and he who believes in him shall never be disappointed or put to shame." To you then who believe is the preciousness, but for those who disbelieve, it's true. The very stone which the builders rejected has become the main cornerstone. Jesus was rejected, kicked out, disregarded. Nobody here on earth wanted him to such an extent that they crucified him. But God said he was the very cornerstone. Okay, verse 8. And a stone that will cause stumbling and a rock that will give men offence, they stumble because they disobey and disbelieve God's word as those who rejected him were destined to do. But you are a royal, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a dedicated nation, God's own purchased special people that you may set forth the wonderful deeds and display the virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light you've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness that kingdom that is at work not out there but actually right here 
the kingdom of darkness. You've been brought out of that into the kingdom of light. Once you were not a people at all, but now you are God's people. Once you were unpitied, but now you are pitied and have received mercy. Verse 11. Now, I, when I read verse, used to read verse 11, I used to think that Paul sort of lost his, uh, not Paul, Peter, lost his train of thought. Because he was, he was talking there about, you know, living stones coming in, you know, to this new glorious kingdom of light. And then he writes, Beloved, I implore you as aliens and strangers and exiles in this world. So he's saying, don't just take on your own national identity. There is another identity. Consider yourself to be an alien, a stranger and an exile in this world. And then abstain from sensual urges, evil desires, passions of the flesh, your lower nature that war, wage war against your soul. And I thought, well, what does that have to do with coming as living stones? I thought, oh, he's, you know, lost his train of thought. So, but as I meditated more on it and looked at it in a little bit more detail, the Lord really opened up to me this passage of Scripture. And I believe it's a word from him today for this church and also for people who are watching online. Okay, so Peter says, come like living stones. You can see in this diagram here, this picture we have is a stone wall. And every single one of those stones is different. They're just stones. And they've been put together very nicely and very um, orderly, but they're still all over the place. In fact, I was just talking with Ross in between from the, after the last service, and he said those kind of stone walls that have been built hundreds and even thousands of years ago are still standing today. They, they, they even dry stone walls, Hadrian's Wall is still standing today. And if, you know, we don't have them, but those that come from England, I'm sure that you know, you've seen these stone walls, cobblestones, things that have been built out of stone. So we see um, the, the next, next uh, picture. Have a look at bricks. Now, that, that looks nice and orderly, isn't it? Very orderly and not a mess. <laughs> But let's have a look in Romans 12, verse 2. It says, Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. But let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice what the plan of God is for you, meets all his demands and moves towards the goal of true maturity. You know, I mentioned back in Genesis 11 how at the Tower of Babel, what they did actually was that they substituted stone and they made bricks. Well, you know how you make bricks. You take mud and a few other things and you pressure it into a predetermined mould. External pressure makes bricks. And the reason is it's just so easy to work with. So you can build a brick wall like that in a day. But if you're building a stone wall, it takes time and intelligence. And these, but these brick walls can be broken down very easily. Stone walls are much more enduring. So what, uh, what the Bible says there in Romans is that come like, you come like a living stone, but don't let the world squeeze you into its mould. You come into the body of Christ and you don't allow other people to compress you and mould you and squeeze you into a predetermined, externally imposed form. 
because there is a molding that's to take place. Romans says that God will actually mold you and change you from the inside out. So you don't just come along and say, well, here I am, take me, use me the way I am or else I'm leaving. No, you come and you allow God to work on you and come like a living stone. Okay, so there is a kind of a contending for your place in the body, not because you have to earn it. Your place is already there. But when you come in, like a stonemason does, just has to chip a little bit off here and smooth a little bit off there and maybe put you aside for a little while until your place becomes obvious. You know, I've watched some of the things that stonemasons do. They'll take a rock and they'll look at it and they'll say the rock, the stone itself will determine where they put it. And so they build this wall from these stones and maybe chip a little bit here and chip a little bit there, but puts them tightly in place. And that's what God does with you for your place in the body. So this is, there's a kind of contention that takes place and, and things that you have to endure and go through to actually fit yourself into your place in the body. And, and, and anyway, we'll keep going along with that. Okay, so let's have a look and compare what Peter said about Jesus. When Jesus came, he was tried and he was looked at and, said, and people said, no, no good. We can't use him. He's no good. They threw him away. They rejected him. But God said he was precious. You too come like living stones. People will say... Someone will say, your own thinking will say, you don't belong. You are rejected. But you know, when you come like a living stone, God himself shaves off the the rough patches and fits you in. Fits you in. And that's why Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You too are precious and belong in the body of Christ. So I want you to have a look verse in 1 Peter 4, verse 13, because it talks there, it says, but insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings. Now, I couldn't understand what that meant. Does it mean that I've got to flog myself and, you know, get nailed up onto a cross? No. That word suffer, the root word of that, the, the root of that in Latin is to bear up under. If you have a look at the next slide, it says it's the root, the root of suffer is the Latin word suffere, which means under and bear up. You know, Jesus' sufferings wasn't that he he did present himself as a lamb, but he had to bear up under that in his soul. He had to stand up under that knowing who God said he was. And we, in like manner, are partakers of Christ's sufferings, not because we lie down and go, oh, I'm suffering. No, because there is a contention and a bearing up under. To suffer is to stand underneath something that's pressuring you and you stand up under it as victim victorious. 
you know, we mentioned in, on the Sunday nights that we've had worldview, there are different kinds of suffering, all different kinds. This is one kind of suffering that we as believers must do and do skillfully. When you feel pressure on you, when you feel attack on you, stand up under it and you become victorious. So what is it that we are contending with? What do we have to stand up under? You know, you might say, well, it's other people. I've heard people say, church would be great if it wasn't for the people. As a teacher, I used to say, teaching's great if it wasn't for the kids. But we're not dealing with flesh and blood. The Bible says clearly we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but principalities, powers and rulers in the heavenly sphere. There is a whole kingdom of darkness that is trying to come against you. Now, Colossians says that Jesus spoiled principalities. In other words, he put those principalities down so that you have victory over them. Well, why are they such a problem to us? Let me, let me explain to you why. And this is by no means concise and conclusive, but it's a little bit. You know, um, back in Genesis, the Bible talks about Lucifer, how, and in Isaiah and other places, Lucifer, who was, an, who was a light bearer, the shining one. And his role or his job description was he was a um, cherub, part of the cherubim. Eam on the end of a word is, makes it plural in the Hebrew. So Lucifer was a cherub. And the role of cherubs is to help the throne, to worship and to help as a throne guardian. A little bit like I've been watching some of the stuff about the Queen and her platinum, you know, jubilee and all. And it's a little bit like the uh, lady-in-waiting on the, the Queen. So that wherever the Queen goes, the lady-in-waiting's right there. You never see her. She's not public. Nobody knows her name. She's just the person who stands next to the Queen and helps the Queen. Well, Lucifer was like that to God. He was a throne helper. But can you imagine if that lady-in-waiting decides, you know, I've been with this queen every day for the last 70 years, <laughs> or however long. I know exactly how this works. I could do her job easy. <laughs> Give it to me. Well, that's what Lucifer did. He was so close to God, he said, I could be like God. Who does God think he is? I've been with him every day this week. Doesn't look like it's a hard job to me. And as soon as that happened, he was cast down to earth. Then his function changed. No longer the throne guardian, the cherub. He became the Satan and the devil. Put that slide up of the devil. Satan, the word Satan is not a proper name. That's not his name. That's actually his function. Like someone who commits a crime becomes a criminal. That's not their name, but that's who they are. Satan is a description of what he does. He's an accuser, he's an opponent, and he's an adversary. So whenever you see that word Satan in the Bible, that's what it means. Devil is also another description of what he does. He's diabolical, he is a false accuser, and he's a slanderer. Now, Lucifer is a spirit being... But even though he's a spirit being, he's not like God in that he's omnipresent. God is everywhere. Lucifer is not. He can only be in one place. And so, but 
You think you've been attacked by the de- by Satan, by Lucifer? No, he's probably out dealing with some bigger fish. But there is a whole kingdom that he has corrupted that is looking for someone to devour because he's now the God of this world and there's a whole kingdom of corrupt spirit beings. And if you think that's only in the movies, let me tell you, it's real. It's real. They're out there and their job is to accuse you, point the finger at you and say, you ugly dude, you're stupid, nobody likes you. You're not worth anything. You don't have a place in the body. Who do you think you are? That's his job. He's always pointing at you, accusing you. I want to have a look at a story in the Bible, an account of Jesus when he was in the synagogue, out of Luke 13 and verse 10. And it says, Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Where was Jesus? In the synagogue, or in other words, Jesus was in church. And there was a woman there. So if Jesus was there, where was the woman? She was in church too, okay? Who for 18 years had an infirmity caused by a spirit or a spirit of infirmity. Now, infirmity, that word, the literal meaning of that word is a weakness, infirm, just not firm. She was weak. And quite often infirmities and weaknesses display themselves as sicknesses. But she was weak. And there was a spirit of infirmity that had sought her out and attached itself to her. A demon of sickness. And she was bent completely forward and utterly unable to straighten herself up or look upward. So here she is. I can assume, I'm thinking she's probably been going to church for 18 years. This thing has been plaguing her for 18 years. And she walks into church like this. She, she couldn't even lift up. She just walked like this. Couldn't even lift her head up. How many people turn up to church like that? Anyway, let's keep going. And when Jesus saw her, verse 12, he called to her and her to him and said to her, Woman, you are released from your infirmity. Isn't that interesting? Jesus knew that it was a demon, a a spirit of infirmity that was on her, but Jesus didn't even talk to the spirit of infirmity. He spoke to the woman and he said, you are released. Then he laid his hands on her and instantly she was made straight and she recognized and thanked and praised God. And then later on in verse 16, Jesus says, this dear woman, here's the key, a daughter of Abraham. He identified who she was. He said, you're a daughter of Abraham, stand up. And she has been held in bondage by Satan, or in other words, held in bondage by accusations for 18 years. For 18 years, she had listened to accusations, false, um, you know, slandering, lies, whatever. She'd been listening to it for 18 years. And Jesus saw her and said, you're a daughter of Abraham, stand up. She went, oh, all right, I'll stand up. She had a covenant with God, which meant what she'd been listening to was lies. Can you imagine it? She turns up to church 
first day at church, just putting it into 21st century, first day at church, turns up at church, she looks around and, and, and the accusations start to come. You don't belong here. Look at everyone else. They're all dressed beautifully. You're wearing Kmart. <laughs> oh, come on, love Kmart. Okay, love Kmart. All right. But you know what? Satan will use that. The accuser will use that. So she comes into church and says, you don't belong here. They're all dressed beautifully. You look like a dag. She goes, oh. So she comes in further. Next week she comes into church and, and the accuser says to her, you don't belong here. Everybody else is really smiling, happy and good looking. You're awful. You're ugly. She goes, oh, okay. Next week she comes in and, and the accuser says to her, what do you think you are doing here? You, your past, you've got a past that you should be ashamed of. She goes, oh, okay. 18 years she's walking like this, held in bondage by the accuser. That's what it says there. She is held in bondage by the accuser. And for 18 years, and Jesus comes along and says to her, you've been listening to lies. You're a daughter of Abraham. She went, I've been in church for 18 years. I've been hearing the word. I know what it is. I know what a daughter of Abraham is like. That's me. That's my identity. I'm standing up under it. Standing up under it. Praise God. Praise God. You know, as I was praying for our church people, I saw not everyone, but some are bent under the devil's accusations. You turn up to church and you look at everyone there and, and nobody, nobody even greets you and says hello. You go, oh, they don't want me here. I don't belong. I don't belong in this place. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. I'm leaving. So you come back a few months later, bent over just a little bit. You walk into church and everybody else there is, is with their husbands. And you look and you go, everyone else has got a husband. I'm divorced. My husband kicked me out. I'm so ugly. Over a little bit further. Or you walk, you walk, you come into church and someone, the pastor looks right past you and you go, pastor didn't even look at me. I'm not wanted here. I don't know about you, but those accusations have come to me. And, and, and I'm one of the pastors here. <laughs> Isn't that sad? But the accusations come to me. I walk in, I go, and, and the devil will say, you don't belong here. Nobody likes you. You're old. You're fat. You're ugly. And, and, and he's shaking her head because she knows who I really am. <laughs> but come on, has anyone else heard those kind of accusations? I'm telling you, it's a lie. You are a child of the living God. You've been bought with a price. You are a holy priesthood, a royal nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are chosen and precious and you have a place in the body. You're a, a living stone. You might be an odd shape, a weird shape. And you come in and that stonemason says, yep, yeah, I like this one. Smooth it off a bit here, smooth it off a bit there. Just lay aside for a minute until we find you where you fit in. But you belong. You belong. None of you, none of you are rejected. So what do you do? 1 Peter 2.11 says, 
Beloved, I implore you as aliens and strangers and exiles to abstain from the sensual urges, the passions of your flesh. You know what? The passions of your flesh are not, you know, drinking, gambling, fornication and all that other stuff. The passions of your flesh start off just as self-pity. You come into church, nobody looks at you and you soothe yourself and you say, that's all right, darling. Nobody loves you. Everybody hates you. Just go home and feel sad for yourself. (sighs) I'm telling you, that is the greatest lie from the devil. The passions of your flesh. How many of you, I mean, I know this, I've been there. Self-pity is a sweet-tasting morsel, but it rots in your gut and poisons you. It's foul. So then what do we do? 1 Peter 5 verse 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the accuser, the devil, he walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, remember I said to you that Lucifer is only one being, but he's got a whole horde of foul demons who come around like vultures. They're sniffing out rotting flesh. They sniff it out. They sniff it out and they come to this person here and they can smell self-pity, discontentment, someone who's been listening to the lies of the enemy and they go, good, (laughs) we'll attach ourselves and amplify those accusations till it becomes almost like reality and truth in their life. That's what these demons do. And that's why Jesus didn't tell the demon to leave because he knew that if that woman didn't stand up and know who she was, he could have told the demon to to leave. And then the next morning that demon was around sniffing for that foul, rotting flesh. That's what what they do. They they sniff you out. And if you've got a bit of self-pity, if you believe the lies... If you believe that you don't have a place, you're not worthy, you've got, you, you're listening to the accusations. But you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are precious in God's sight. So it says there in verse uh, 1 Peter 5 verse 9, withstand him. In other words, stand against him. Stand against him. And you have to do it for yourself. I don't come along to Annie and say, Annie, will you cast the devil out? Tell him to leave me alone. The devil will go, nah, 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 lot listen to you. He's listening for me to say, get lost. I'm withstanding you. I'm not listening to those lies anymore. So withstand him. Be firm in faith. Strong, immovable and determined. Here's the key. Know that the same identical sufferings are appointed to your brotherhood, the whole body of Christians throughout the world. <laughs> you ever thought you're the only one? Oh, poor me. I'm the only one. Everybody else here is having a good time, but I, nobody wants me. No, everybody, everybody has to deal with this. I have to deal with it. James has to deal with it. And, and, and Annie has to deal with it. Everybody has to deal with it. 
Because it's the same lies. You know, I used to hear people say the devil plays the same tape to everyone. (laughs) Back in the days we had tape. He's got the same soundtrack that he plays to everybody and all of his cohort of darkness will reinforce it and will continue to tell you, you're not worth anything, nobody likes you, you're too old, you're too stupid, you've got a past... Aren't you thankful for the name of Jesus and communion? The blood of Jesus that cleanses you from every evil uh, conscience, from the consciousness of your past. Praise the Lord. So, 1 Peter 5 verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, it's not, God is not saying, lie down there, let me tread on you for a little while, make you suffer. No, it, it, replace that word suffer with bear up under. So after you have borne up under, just a little while, the God of all grace who imparts all blessing and favour, who has called you to his own eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself complete and make you what you ought to be, establish and ground you securely and strengthen and settle you. There is a suffering that takes place simply because the devil hates unity in the body. He don't he said, okay, all right, you're born again, you're going to heaven, that's fine. But if I can disconnect you from the body, it really disempowers the whole body. And we want the whole body all around the world to be singing glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns in unity together. That's the place of power. So Jesus said in John 14, verse 1 to 2, don't let your heart be troubled. Now, that wasn't just comforting words. That was a command. He said, don't let it. Just don't let it. You troubled about your place in the body, about your connections with other people? Just don't let it. I can't tell you how many people I've heard say to me, I love the church, I love coming to church, but I just don't feel connected with other people. Well, just don't let it. Just don't let it. Know who you are. Then he says, trust, this is Jesus saying, trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Jesus has prepared a place for you, you funny, misshapen, odd-looking little piece of stone that doesn't seem like you belong anywhere. He says, I love you just as you are. I might chop a few little corners off here or make it smooth this a little bit here, but I've got a place for you. He says, I've prepared a place for you. And you won't ever find that place If you stand on the outside going, well, nobody loves me. I don't have a place here. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. I've got a past. I can't see any future. Jesus says, come. Come. Come to him. Don't listen to the accuser because the accuser will cause you to walk down so you can't even lift your head. Oh, how sad it is when Christians can't even lift their head. 
King David says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. Oh, he has a glorious place, a glorious place for you in the body. So here at Rhema Family Church, we connect with God and we connect with each other. This is not some drive for volunteers. Although it would probably be a good idea. And this is not a push for small groups, although that's a wonderful way to place to connect. This is about changing you from the inside. Remember Romans 12 verse 2 says, Don't let the world squeeze you into its mould, but let God change you from the inside. Change your mind. Change your thinking. Change your perception. Change your revelation of who you are and what he has planned for you. And your place in the body of Christ is not because you, you know, play on the worship team or you some people have an identity in church that is bound up with what they do. Um, I had that. I used to play the piano and I loved playing the piano because I could hide behind the piano. No one saw me and that was my identity. I was that someone called me that lady that knows the old hymns. That was my identity. And the devil said to me, that's all you're good for. You're only the lady that knows the old hymns. And I was connected in the church. I was doing jobs in the church. But I had to get a revelation of my place in the body. Who am I in the body? I'm not just the lady that knows the old hymns. And praise God, I don't play the piano anymore. God has given me more than that. So your identity is not just because you join a team and you are the kids worker or you are the cafe lady or you are the usher. Your identity is because you are a child of God and you belong in the body. He has a place for you and your connection with other people is life-giving. Colossians and Ephesians talks about how every joint supplies every connection that you work supplies you and nourishes you and doesn't just nourish you but it nourishes the whole body when you find someone to connect with and work with it nourishes not just you but it nourishes the whole body that's how the body was designed to function aren't you thankful Aren't you grateful for what Jesus has done? So I'm going to finish off just reading a few verses of Scripture because I believe that the Word of God is powerful. And let this speak to you as I read. 1 Peter 2 verse 3 to 11. Now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people. He was chosen by God. For great honour, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem or in Zion, chosen for great honour. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. For you are a chosen people. 
You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, keep yourself away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. 1 Peter 4 verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partakers with Christ in his suffering, in his bearing up under, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. 1 Peter 5, 6. So humble yourself under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honour. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the adversary, the accuser, the opponent, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have stood up a little while, he will restore you, support and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. John 14, 1 to 2. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus is saying this. Trust in God. And trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Jesus has a place for you prepared. Your contending is just don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in him. So I'm going to pray this morning. And um, if you... uh, Two, two people I'm going to pray for. Firstly, people who don't even know the joy of being part of the body of Christ. All you need to do is to say, Jesus, I accept what you did for me. I want to be your child. It's simple. It's simple. But then there are those who have made that decision to follow Jesus but just can't find their place in the body. Don't listen to the accusations. Don't listen to the lies. Stand up under it and God will make sure. He will make sure you find your place. So, Father, we thank you this morning for all of those who are here or watching online who have not yet become part of this wonderful body. We thank you that as they just accept Jesus as their Saviour and Lord, that you bring them into the kingdom. They confess with their mouth, Jesus, I need a saviour. I want you to come into my life. And then, Father, I bring before you everyone, not only in this church, but especially those who are watching online, 
those of you who are online who feel disconnected, God wants to change you from the inside. He wants to do a work on the inside to change your thinking, to change your identity, to give you an identity of your place in the body. You have a place in the body. Oh, Father, we thank you for the great price that was paid to establish our place in your kingdom and in your body. We thank you for it, Jesus. We thank you for it. And as the body of Christ comes together in unity, the unity that we have is not externally molded. It's not externally pressured. It's a unity of the Spirit, a unity of the Spirit. We thank you for it, Lord. In these days, you are doing a work to join the body in our awareness and our thinking by the Spirit. And what does that look like, Lord? We don't know even what it's going to look like, but we know you said it's going to be glorious. Glorious. The unity that we have is already in existence. Oh, but Father, you are revealing it to us by your Spirit that we know no man by the flesh. We, know no, we don't know each other by the flesh, but by the Spirit. Oh, we know you're doing a wonderful work in your body around the whole world. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.